Acts chapter number 18. When you find it and you're at verse 1, stand up when you find it. Acts 18, verse number 1. Acts 18, verse number 1. If you can't find it, turn somewhere else and read there. It's all good. It's all good. Every, bit, every page in your Bible has got Jesus on it. You can find him on any page you turn to. Acts chapter number 18, verse number 1. The Bible says, after these things... What things? That red, hot, scathing message he preached this morning on repentance. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus lately, come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought for their occupation. They were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue, synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles." And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God and whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Now keep in mind, Paul, this is the first time the Lord has spoke directly to him since the Damascus road. And the Bible says, God said to Paul, be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee and no man shall set thee upon to hurt thee. Read the rest of this verse with me. For I have much people in this city. Read that phrase again. For I have much people in this city. This evening, I'd like to preach you on this thought, the little houses in the city. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for these families, these houses that were used for the furtherance of your gospel, that were used for the kingdom of God. Help us to see that when you're interested in a community, when you're interested in a city, when you're interested in saving and making and doing a wonderful work in your local communities and your local cities, that you are interested in the houses, you are interested in the homes. God, I pray that we see this message for what it is and its simplicity tonight. Get me out of the way. Keep me out of the way of the cross and help us to dive deeper into your word and grow closer to you. And these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We see God moving again in Paul's ministry as he journeys to Corinth. He's just left Athens. He's just left that place where he got that opportunity to preach to more people than he'd preached to up until that point. He had people coming from cities all over and he simply kept the message as simple as he could and he kept it on repentance. And we know some believed and some joined themselves to Paul. And we know some joined themselves to the church, but we know some mocked and others said, well, we'll wait and hear what's next Sunday. Well, Paul left. Paul was not interested in, in appeasing their uh, indifference, was not interested in just going through the motions, Paul moved on to the next city, and now he comes to Corinth. And uh, keep in mind, God has not spoken to Paul since the Damascus Road. We know a couple chapters earlier, he did have the Macedonian vision, and he saw a vision, and he saw a man standing there, and he felt led by that vision to go into Macedonia, and that's where he's ended up. And uh, we know that that vision was one that he had, but the red letters in your Bible have not occurred to Paul between the Damascus Road and now. So we will see God here give him uh, a charge and then give him a promise to back up the charge. And we're going to look at that first and we're going to understand and try to grasp what God's getting at here. So let, look with me at verse number nine in the first part. Then spake the Lord to Paul 
in the night by a vision. And the first thing God says is, be not afraid. Now, has anything about Paul's ministry up until this point told you that he was scared of anything? No. Has anything in Paul's ministry, has anything the Holy Ghost has allowed Paul to do, have you been given a hint or any citation or maybe even chased down a period somewhere or a comma where Paul showed any hesitation, where Paul showed any fear? No, but here we have the Lord telling him to be not afraid. So it's maybe not a fear that we would see as fear, maybe not scared to speak or scared to do this or scared to that, but nonetheless, God tells him, be not afraid. But uh, not only does he stop there, he says in, in the second part of verse 9, but speak and hold not thy peace. Again, this is the next time God spoke speaking to him since the Damascus Road, and he's telling him uh, not to keep his mouth shut and not to be afraid to speak. Has Paul had any issue with that up until the point? Paul's been the one to come in, raring, gunning, machine guns blazing, wide open, letter rip, tater chip. Paul's walked right into these synagogues and absolutely been willing to open his mouth and to proclaim the truth of the gospel and to proclaim the simplicity of the gospel. Yet we see God here saying, be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. And he doesn't stop there. He says, for I am with thee. In verse, number, in verse number 10, Paul knew that. Paul was probably closer to the Holy Ghost during this time than many of the most super spiritual people in this world will ever be. Paul had so, such a relationship with the Holy Ghost. He had such a drive and such a passion with the Holy Ghost. Paul knew God was with him. Paul knew. So what's God getting at here? What's God really trying to dial in on? I believe he, he sums it up in the latter part of verse number 10 when he says, for I have much people in the city. As God was dealing with Paul's heart, as God was charging him again, as God was speaking him for the next time since the Damascus Road, he knew Paul wasn't scared of those Pharisees. He knew Paul wasn't scared of those synagogues. He knew he had no trouble opening his mouth. He, had, he knew he had no trouble speaking the gospel and preaching the gospel. He knew that Paul knew that God was with him. But sometimes it gets to be, and maybe Paul was feeling, and Paul had reached the point where he started to discover that maybe he was all by himself, that he didn't have any friends. He didn't have any companions. He didn't have any households that were willing to take him in. He didn't have any uh, <coughs> co-laborers. Maybe the road he was walking had become so tough and it had become so hard. And he, become to the, he had come to the place where he was under such persecution that even Silas, even Barnabas, even Timotheus, even these great servants of the Lord, great servants of God, when Paul would go in and he would come under fire and when these attacks and these prosecutions and these persecutions would come upon Paul, he might have been looking to his left and to his right and really realizing that I'm all by myself. I'm the only one doing this. I'm the only one. J Jesus, God wanted to make it very clear to Paul that he had many people in that city, that Paul was not by himself. Paul was not the only one preaching. Uh, and I would submit that if we read that too fast and we kind of skimmed through and we were really anxious to get to the latter part of the chapter, we, we might have missed exactly what God was getting at here, exactly what God was showing Paul. Paul had been to three different houses. Paul had seen miracles done and things done and movements made at three different homes, three different families before he gets to verse number nine. And it was almost as if Jesus Christ himself was talking to Paul and he was saying, slow down, look what's going on. Look and look around you, look to your left and look to your right and notice you are not alone. 
I would submit that God is saying the same thing to you and He's saying the same thing to me today. That it feels, and the lie of the devil is, that we are the only fundamental Baptist church preaching it the right way. We are the only ones that still use the King James Bible. And we're the only ones that still believe that the Holy Ghost still moves. The Holy Ghost still has power. The Holy Ghost still has power to draw and convict and save. Y'all help me pray. There was a hand that went up this morning. It was a hand of a person that I've been praying for, for salvation for a long time. And they were this close. They were this close. They were this close. But their heart simply was not ready to make that decision yet and only God knows the reason why I pray that the Holy Ghost stay on their trail. I pray that the Holy Ghost stay right alongside them. I even pray that God make them miserable to their right with Him because I'd rather be miserable here on earth than the most joyous one in the pits of hell. But He wanted Paul to understand something that He wants us to understand. You are not alone. He says, for I have much people in this city Paul, you're at Corinth. Paul, it may seem that everybody's against you, everybody's antagonized you, but be not afraid. Be not afraid to speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee and I have much people in this city. Before we go any further, I want us to examine ourselves. I want us to look at our own homes and our own houses. If God was calling a preacher in Chattanooga, if preacher, Dr. So-and-so, you can assign any name you want to, and God was speaking to him and he said, don't be afraid, Dr. So-and-so. Don't be afraid, preacher so-and-so, for I have much people in this city. And that preacher was like, this is Chattanooga, Tennessee, Lord. Can you give me the names of some people that you have in this city? Can you give me the names of some homes that you have in this city? Would your name be on it? Would the Lord trust you with helping his preacher? Would the Lord trust you in helping his ministry? Would the Lord trust your home in helping his ministry? Would, your, would the Lord look down at your house and see this is a place where my men and my women can find refuge? This is a place where the lost could come and hear the gospel? This is a place where people might be able to come and they may see the family as I've structured it? Would your house be one of the ones listed when he said, God said to Paul, I have much people in this city. Start examining your house. Would you be on that list? When God was giving out that promise to his preacher, I have much people in this city. Would your home be there? Would you and your wife be there? Would just you be there? Would your kids be there alongside you? Would you be some of God's people in Chattanooga, Tennessee? I believe we've got a whole bunch of them. I believe we've got a whole bunch of homes in this place. I believe we've got a whole bunch of households in this place that if God was ever going to look for somewhere to use, if God was ever going to look for some homes to be a comfort to their community, if God was ever going to look for some homes to be a light and salt to their communities, we have them here at Anchor of Hope. Amen? They're there. It's okay to amen yourself every once in a while. It's okay. Y'all, y'all. I know I, I know I get to going, but bear with me. There's some homes here at Anchor of Hope that if God was saying, I've got much people in this city, He'd be talking about people like you and people like me. I truly believe with all my heart. But only you know if your house would be there. So we're going to look back into the verses before and we're going to look at those three homes that he found himself in, that he came into contact with. And we're going to understand and we're going to see that each and every one of them was completely different than the next. That each and every one of them were made up by imperfect people and made up by people like you, people like me, and that Ooh, I'm going to get in trouble tonight. And that there wasn't a cookie cutter house. There wasn't a, this house is identically to this house. And they were great homes and they were great Christian houses, but they were different. They had differences between them. They weren't trying to fit a mold. They weren't trying to be cookie cutter. They weren't trying to say, if you're not like this, then you're wrong. Or if you're not like this, then you're wrong. If you don't do family like this, then you're wrong. If you don't do, they had their own individuality and God used their individuality and God loved their individuality as long as they were following and serving him. So the first house we're going to look at is Aquila and Priscilla's house. Verse number two. 
Paul journeys to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and come unto them. Now, Aquila and Priscilla's house, first thing I want you to understand about them, they were new to the neighborhood. They hadn't been in Corinth very long. They had no desire to come to Corinth. They were back in Rome. They were back in Italy, and they were serving their Lord. They were serving their God. And because they were Jews, the Roman king or emperor over that province said that they had to return, and they had to go to Corinth. He wanted them out of Rome. He wanted them out of Italy. He wanted them gone. So we see Aquila and Priscilla here. Their household was very unstable in the fact that it had not been there very long. They may not even have had a permanent residence yet. They may not even, it says, but their craft, they were tent makers. They very well may have been living on the side of the road. They may very well have been living outside the gates of the city. And as Paul comes in and he's looking for a place to set up camp, he's looking for a place for refuge. He may just be looking for some food or for a drink of water. He comes upon this house. He comes upon this home. And it wasn't a home because it had four walls and a roof. It wasn't a home because it had three cars in the driveway. It was a home because there was a mama and a daddy. There was a husband and a wife there that loved each other. And even though they were new to the neighborhood, they were willing to serve and help God's man. They were willing to serve and help God's preacher. They were tent makers, very well could have been living in a tent. They were new to the neighborhood. They had every right to be sour. They had every right to be angry. They had every right to be depressed. They had every right to do these things and, and have this negative attitude because they didn't choose to come there. They didn't choose to be in that neighborhood. They didn't choose to be in that living situation. They probably had it made back in Italy. They probably had jobs back in Italy. Maybe they had their own tent store, their own business back in Italy. They had every uh, intention of staying there. They had no intentions of being here in Corinth, but yet, even though they're new to the neighborhood, even though they've been kicked out of their home, even though they've been relocated uh, abruptly, they are still willing to help God's man. You see, because if they'd have been like you and like me and like most of us around here, they'd have been so bitter when God's man, there's, there goes a preacher. God's left me. God's made me have to move. I didn't want to move. God's let the Romans kick me out. I've been serving God all these years. I've been serving God faithfully. And look, look what God allowed to happen to me. And they had uh, all those tendencies to be that couple and to be that home, but they weren't. They were still willing to see God's preacher, see a man in need, and say, Paul, our, our, our tent may not be very much. You see, we're, we're new to the neighborhood. You see, we don't have many friends around here. That no, nobody really knows who we are. Well, you know, we're from far away, Paul. Starting to make a little more sense. We, we don't have as many social connections. We don't have as, many, as much influence in this area. And, and, and we're really just not from here. You can imagine, Paul? Perfect. You got a pillow? perfect. You see, he was coming to a city to preach the gospel. He, he could care less about how they could help him. He had come to help them. Amen. He had come to be a blessing to the homes there, that Aquila and Priscilla's home, to all the homes. And here he has a place where nobody is trying to snow Paul. Nobody's trying to impress Paul. Oh, the preacher's in town. Oh, this is the one that preached back in Athens and all those people got saved and all those other people got mad. We need to put on our best, honey. We need to cook him a, a, a ribeye. We need to cook him this. We need to, you know, prepare and we need to honor and do that. No, no, no. They're tent makers. Paul honored that. He respected that. He said, I know you're new to the neighborhood. I know I don't have very much. Look at this home God is about to use. And they had a working relationship. Verse number three. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, and wrought for by their occupation they were tent makers. Notice this. Notice what's going on here. Paul comes down and, and he sees that these people worship God, they follow God, they know God. And he identifies them very quickly as friends. He identifies them very quickly as a help to God's mission, to God's ministry. 
But he never once, and God never once, desired them to, to start a church. He never once desired them, and I'm not saying those things are bad. Don't, don't mishear me. He never once desired for them to go out and start preaching. He never looked at Aquila and Priscilla and said, sell everything you have and do this, or I want you to do something different. I want you... No, they were able to serve God making tents. They were able to serve God and help God's man and help Paul working their job. Doing what they had been doing before the preacher got there. Doing what they had been doing before Paul moved into town. I think some of the things I'm going to say here about Aquila and Priscilla, I'm going to have a BBI agent just fast rope down from the ceiling and tackle me. That's the Baptist Bureau of Investigation. We don't know what that is. They're going, to, they're going to jump down. I'm going to get a blow dart in my neck because here we have a couple that God used to serve in the workforce. God used to serve there in those markets. God used to serve as they were making those tents and they were selling those tents and they were uh, performing their craft and performing their trade that they knew and that they had sold and they were doing together as a married couple. And when the preacher came in, they were able to help him and they were able to help him make a little bit of money, help him make a little bit of living. God was able to use that. I would say it like this. God doesn't just need people in pews. He needs pieces and people in places of business too, doesn't he? Yo, watch out. Here they come. He needs people in the workforce. He needs Christians in management positions. He needs Christians in drive throughs He needs Christians out where the lost people are. Like Aquila and Priscilla. It's the truth. He needs houses like Aquila and Priscilla's house. that They serve God and they go to work. They serve God and they work their job. But while they're there, they're going to make sure that God is honored. They're going to make sure that they're witnessing. They're going to make sure with every tent they sell and everything they do, that they do it according to Colossians 3.23, which haven't been written yet. That says, everything you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men, but as unto the Lord. Everything you do, put everything you have into it. I can imagine as Paul began to write those words to the church at Colossae, and he began to write that book of Colossians, and he said, and everything that you do, Maybe Aquila and Priscilla popped into his head. And he remembered that sweet little couple that took him in. And he remembered that sweet little couple that maybe gave him some needles and gave him some thread and gave him some material and said, let's make some tents, Paul. We need to make some income. You've got work to do. You're going to need to buy travel. You're going to need to buy food. You're going to need to make a way for yourself here in Corinth. Let us help you. We may not be preachers, Paul. We may not be missionaries, Paul. We may not be able to do signs and wonders like the apostles, Paul. But we know how to make a tent. We know how to make a living. We know how to make our way. God will use us with that. I believe He will. God used Aquila and Priscilla's house. Not only that, but they had discipleship potential. Paul wasn't the only preacher that they were a blessing to. We find out much later. Look over in verse 24. There's a young man begins to preach whose name is Apollos. And a certain Jew, verse 24, named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. And Aquila and Priscilla had been brought to Ephesus by Paul because he wanted them there helping Timothy and helping that church there at Ephesus. Ephesus. And verse number 25, the Bible says, This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the Spirit. And he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing the baptism of of John. And when he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila, there they are, and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. 
What did Quilla and Priscilla just do here? They heard a young preacher. They heard a young man that was on fire. The Bible says he was fervent. He said he was on fire. He was going into those synagogues and he was letting a rip tater chip. He was running wide open. He was preaching the bark off the tree and he was doing the best he could, but he just didn't have maybe all the head knowledge he needed. He didn't have the understanding of the complete. Whatever it was, Aquila and Priscilla, these tent makers now, these people that were just trying to be a lesson to Paul, they identify that this preacher, he's got potential. He's got the zeal. He's full of the Holy Ghost, but he just might need a little bit of help. He just might need a little bit more instruction. And it says they pulled him aside and they say, Apollos, you're doing a great job. We love you, Apollos. We love what you're doing. We're proud of you. But did you understand this? Or do you understand that? Or do you understand the gospel means this? Or the God? We don't know what they said. It says they explained to them the way of the Lord more perfectly. That's what they did. They discipled this young preacher. And I'm sure there was another young preacher days and months later and they discipled him. And there was another young preacher days and months. Aquila and Priscilla's house was a house of refuge for these preachers and for these people in the ministry that they could come to. And I know we've got them here at Anchor of Hope. I know there's numbers I can call. I know there's houses we can go to and just get away from it all and talk about nothing but the, the weather, the birds and the bees and how good God is that created all of it. There's people and places all over this community, all in this church that God uses to be places of help and places of refuge and places of compassion right here in our community. God's interested in these houses. That's Aquila and Priscilla's house. There's two more. Y'all got it in you? Secondly, there's Justice's house. Look at verse number seven. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice. Look first, a praying man. One that worshiped God. One that worshiped God. When God looks into your house, now, don't look to your left, to your right at somebody else's house, somebody else's driveway, somebody else's living room. Look at your house. When God looks at your house, does he look and find somebody worshiping him? I didn't say at the church house. I didn't say in his house. I said at your house. When he looks into your bedrooms, your living rooms, your kitchens, your tables, your garages, your driveways, when he looks at your house, does he find a man or a woman like Justice that's worshiping him? Well, what do you mean? Well, we come to church to worship, don't we? We sing at church. Do you, you, you can't sing at home? I don't know how many times me and Candy can't even talk to each other for how loud Addie is singing Amazing Grace or Sweet By and By and do, or doing her little thing and, and letting her rip and singing with everything she's got. And Bradley will get right in there with her and he don't have all the words formed yet, but he'll be, he's singing nonetheless. And then she'll move off the scene and then he'll just get to preaching and she'll get to preaching and I'll have to break all that up and there'll be a full on tent meeting in my living room and they'll have the tent. But when he looks into your house, does he see worship? And it, pokes me in my heart all the time because when I read these verses and I see God look down and he saw justice worshiping, when he looks down at my house, he may see Adelie and Bradley worshiping, but does he see me? Does he see daddy waking up and praying? Does he see daddy waking up and reading his Bible at his house? Not at the Lord's house. Because some of us, if we were honest, we'd be very guilty in saying the only time we open this Bible is when we're in this house. And the only time we sing those praises and those hymns are when we're in this house. But here we find a house, Justice's house, where there was a praying man. There was a man that worshipped God right where he was. You see, this was a house. Well, we'll get to it. There was a praying man. Not only that, there was a powerful position. Look, look at Justice's house here and back in verse number seven. Who worshiped God. How would you like your household to be described as this? Whose house joined hard to the synagogue. You understand quite what that means? 
here in the South, we'd say when the doors were open, they was there. When the doors of the church were open, they was there. That's the southern vernacular interpretation of what Justice's house looked like. Justice's house was a place that when that synagogue was open, when it was a time to go pay sacrifice to the Lord, when it was a time to go pray, when there was a time to go be a blessing at the synagogue, when there was a time to go be a blessing in whatever way that God was using those people, when there was time to be at church, they was at church. I want you to draw from this and understand this. If you don't worship God at home, you won't worship God at church. Let me say that again. If you won't worship God at home, you won't worship God at church. You may put the tie on. You may put the jacket on. You may put your nicer shoes on. You may come and you may sing the songs. You may say the prayers. You may do all this and all that. But when you go home, have you worshipped? Chances are, if you haven't worshipped Him at home all week, you didn't worship Him here. But Justice's house was a household that understood that they worshipped at home. And because they worshipped at home, and when God looked into his house, and when God looked into his living room, he saw a daddy named Justice. And he saw this household led by this father that when the synagogue was open, when it was time for service, when it was time for sacrifice, when it was time for Passover, when it was time for this, that, or the other, they were there. And I'm not saying that that makes you more spiritual. I'm not saying that that uh, makes you more saved. But when your doors of the church are open and you were there, it shows shows your servant heart. Some of us wonder why, why we don't have a servant heart because Jesus ain't in there. Because Jesus is a servant. Jesus said, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the least here. And that if you want to sit on the right hand or on the left hand, you, you're asking the wrong question. That the greatest in the kingdom of heaven will be the least here. And a lot of us wonder, well, why don't I want to serve and why don't I? Is Jesus there? Because if Jesus is in there, you'll want to serve. You'll want to be. You won't seek the men's praise or men's esteem or men's this. Justice had a home. Justice had a family that they were in it for the right reasons. They were at the church when they were needed to be at the church. And I understand. You can't come to everything. I understand. You can't be at everything. And literally every time the doors are open, it is not physically, humanly possible to be at everything. But where is your heart? Because I could promise you there's people that are here every time the doors are open, but their heart's not. Just their flesh is. Their heart's waiting to get back home and watch the ball game. Their heart's waiting to get back home and eat some of mama's cooking. Their heart's wanting to go home and go to bed. They don't want to be here. And I, I sincerely know that there's people that wish they could be here every service. And even though they're physically not here, their heart's here. They're probably at home whispering that prayer. They're probably at home worshiping God. Wishing they were physically or whatever's preventing them from being able to be here. They wish they were here. They, and they truly believe it. That was Justice's house. That was the house that you could look at and know that without a shadow of a doubt, they were serving God. They were in a place that allowed them to be a blessing to the next house. All right? Keep in mind here, these houses all tie together. Aquila and Priscilla equipped Paul to go and deal with Justice's house. And Justice, when he, she, he comes there, he didn't have to do any reforming or repairing. They, they kind of had it all together. They were already serving the Lord. He might have just had to point them to Jesus and explain Christ a little bit. But they were there. They were ready to receive. And then he was able to use their house as a launching pad for the third house. And it's this house that I believe the reason God was in Corinth. It's these houses that Jesus sent Paul to this neighborhood. It's these houses that we're about to get to that God is the most interested in finding and using. You see, because he was already in Aquila and Priscilla's house. Before Paul got there, God was there. He was already in Justice's house. Before Paul got there, God was there. But the next house is Crispus's house. Look at verse number eight. And Crispus, 
the chief ruler of the synagogues. Now, this is not a praying man. This is a powerful man. This is a man that had a position. This is a man who had power. This is a man who had reputation. This is a man who had religion. But we will find out here in a second, he did not have a relationship. And it is this house that God is interested in. It is this house that God wants to move into, you see, because he was already in Aquila and Priscilla's. He was already in Justices. But now that we come to Crispus's, we find he's the chief ruler over all the synagogue, but he was not saved. He did not have a relationship. He did not serve God for the right reasons. How do we know that? Because let's keep reading in verse number eight. Believed on the Lord with all his house. You see, he couldn't have believed on the Lord with all his house if he already believed on the Lord with all his house. This is an action verb here. Believed in the action tense. He made a change right there. As Paul began to preach and began to go into the synagogue out of the platform of Justice's house, Crispus hears word of it. Crispus sees that family, that devout family, that family that's been serving God every time the doors are open, and they see them bring to church this man, this preacher, and he begins to let it rip. He begins to preach. He begins to explain the truth of the gospel, and the chief ruler over the, the chief priest over the whole synagogue believes. He gets saved. And again, we see here another example, another prime example that when daddy gets saved and all his house, that he went home and he told Junior, he went home and he told the daughters, he went home and he told mama about what had happened to him, about who he believed did now, that it wasn't these Jewish rituals and it wasn't these Jewish uh, fines and fees that they had to pay. It wasn't the 613 laws that were going to get him to heaven, but it was the Messiah. It was the Christ. It was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who rose again from the grave, the one who is coming back again to get us. He was able to come home and change his entire house. Why? Because while he was a powerful man, he met a powerful Savior. Even though, look at this, even though Crispus's house, they weren't looking for Jesus. They weren't sitting there around the dinner table going, all right, everybody, what's missing? There are families right here in what I call Ross Vegas, Rossville, Georgia. Right here in Rossville, Georgia, Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia, Ringgold, Georgia, Chickamauga, that when they sit down, I'll just go and throw that out. They ain't sitting around the dinner table. But when the evening time comes, they're in no way looking for Jesus. They're in no way looking to add anything to their house. They're in no way looking for truth. They're simply looking to the television. They're simply looking to media. They're simply looking to the internet. They're simply looking at each other, fighting and bickering and moaning and groaning, wondering about work, wondering about career, wanting about position. And Crispus's house was that house. But while he was a powerful man, there was a powerful Savior that walked right in the middle of that house, changed Daddy, changed Mama, changed Junior, changed Sissy, and everybody got saved by the glory of God. Why? Because God was interested in his house. God was interested in using the house of Aquila and Priscilla, those workforce servants, using the house of justice, those uh, devoted <coughs> followers of God, and using them in unison combined with the preacher. Do you see what's forming here? Do you see that there's a shepherd here? Do you see that there's a preacher here? And there's some homes here that come together with one mind and one accord and one purpose. And the chief ruler over all the synagogue, the head honcho, the head boss man in charge, he is the one that gets saved. So you could imagine... The trickle-down effect that takes place now. Let's keep reading in verse number 8. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, the whole city, most of the city, hearing, what does it say? Believed. A powerful testimony. This family's salvation. This household's change. What God did 
in maybe the most religious house in the neighborhood, maybe the most uh, backwards house in the neighborhood, maybe the most wretched house in the neighborhood, changed the whole city. Once he got into the house he was after, once he got into the house that he had been knocking on the door of for so long, once he got into the house that even though daddy was the chief priest of over all the synagogue, even though daddy had understood the old books of the Old Testament and understood and had this big head knowledge and had this big understanding, God was still outside of the door knocking. But once he was able to take Aquila and Priscilla's house and once he was able to take Justice's house and once he was able to combine them in the workforce with the preacher and form what we would know as the local New Testament church built by the homes of families built by the homes that care for God and work for God and are out in the middle of the world but doesn't necessarily mean they're not separate from the world and he uses them together and he reaches an entire city he reaches an entire city and he didn't use a big he had been using Paul and, and Barnabas and he had been using Peter and he had been using preachers to go and do this but now we see a transition where he's beginning to pour into homes and when he's beginning to pour into families and he's beginning to shape the church like we see it now. He's beginning to shape the church like we see here at Anchor of Hope Baptist Church where it's the Walker's home and it's the Lewis home and it's the Dunbar home and it's the Roberts home and it's the Sanders home and it's the Brogan's home and it's the Morgan's home and it's the Records home and forgive me if I don't name them all but it's the homes in the community. It's the homes in the city of Rossville, the cities of Fort Oglethorpe. It's the homes that he's trying to use to be a light and to be salt to the other homes. You see, we'll never get them to come to church with us if they don't, can't look at our home and see somebody who works for God, see somebody who worships God, see somebody who follows God. If they cannot look to your driveway, if they cannot look to your living room and kitchen, if they cannot look to your family, if they cannot look to your relationship with your spouse or your relationship with your, uh, your kids and see Christ in your home, they will never come to the house of God. That's what he's interested in. That's what he's interested in. I read through that chapter and I wanted to preach on Apollos. I, I wanted to preach later on in the chapter and I almost missed it. I almost missed it. But it was another one of those moments that I had with my Lord that said, you dummy, look at these houses. Look what you have at Anchor of Hope. You have houses. You have homes. You have families. That's what I'm interested in using. Yeah, the preacher's important. Yeah, the pastor's important. Yeah, the, the missionaries are important. Yeah, the, the, the men of God and the women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the homes that make up the church. It's the homes that make up the bride. So I want to ask this question. Are you one of the people in the city? Is your house ready? And they're all different. Some are in every time the doors are open. Some are working their little backbones off just trying to make a living and help the people of God. Every house is different. Every house serves differently. But when God looks out and sees His mission needing to be accomplished right here in Rossville, is your house available? Is your house available? Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for these homes. Thank you so much for Aquila and Priscilla and for Justice and even for Crispus, that man that wasn't looking for you, but Lord, you were looking for him. Lord God, I pray that we see that right here in a day and hour where we look out in our own community and we just see darkness, we see hurt, we see pain. Lord God, I pray that we help, to, help us to understand that God is calling the houses and the homes of these communities to stand up and be lights to these communities and to invite and to share the gospel with the other homes that have never heard it. God, and bring them back to your house. 
bring them back to the place where they can find sanctuary, bring them back to the place where they can worship you freely, bring them back to the place where they can be spiritually recharged Sunday in and Sunday out. And again, a spiritual dose on Wednesday night. God, I pray for your people. I pray for the homes of this church. God, I know that the troubles and the trials and tribulations of the homes represented here at Anchor of Hope, they're not few. They're not uh, a small amount, but God, that we know that Satan's always on the attack and Satan would love to destroy these little families. Satan would love to destroy these little homes. Satan would love to divide mama and daddy. Satan would love to divide brother and sister. Satan would love to divide family against family because he's after our homes. And it's no secret, God, but I pray that we understand that while Satan's after our homes, that you can use our homes, that you didn't call our homes to be silent. You didn't call our homes to be on the sidelines, but you called our homes to be soldiers' homes for you, God. Help us to see our own individuality, our own differences, and help us to understand that all things can be used by you. Father, I pray and I ask that you use this message. Speak to the hearts of your people in Jesus' name. Amen.